Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Well, it's good to be with you, and uh, whether you're joining us in person or online, it is good to be together. And today, I'm excited because we're starting a new series in the book of Nehemiah. And I'm so looking forward to this, uh, this series. And I can say that God has already been speaking to my heart deeply uh, as I've been reading through the book of Nehemiah. So I just want to say, hang on to your hats, uh, because I think that God wants to do something powerful in our church and in our community through this series. So I guess I would just ask, as we begin this, if you would just hold open your heart and hold open your mind to what the Lord might do uh, in us and through us as we look at this book of Nehemiah. Crossview has a long and fruitful history of life-changing ministry. People have come to know Jesus here. People have recommitted their lives to Christ here. People have experienced renewal and transformation and restoration with God and with other people. Children have been baptized and dedicated, and the list goes on. It's exciting, isn't it? (laughs) That has been part of the history of who we are. And I say all of this because I want even now, in the first few moments of this message together, the Holy Spirit to speak powerfully, to move in your heart, to get us excited for the work of the kingdom of God in this place. And I want us all to remember what happens when we encounter Jesus Christ. And I'm praying that the Lord will, I was even praying this this morning, walking through the building, that he will stir our hearts for more of the type of ministry that we have had in the past here and that we have even now. The the ministry, the powerful work of God's ministry working through us as individuals and as a church. Amen? (laughs) Because I believe with all my heart That God has more of this for us to do in 2023 and beyond. So maybe you're here this morning and maybe you're exploring faith. Uh, Maybe you're you're asking God, I want to take another step in my discipleship journey. Maybe you're, you're, uh, you're longing to be used by God to impact other people. Well, amazing, awesome, wonderful. How many other of those types of words can I string together, right? You are in the right place and at the right time. Here today, the great history of faithful and fruitful ministry here at Crossview is now carried on by you and me. Those of us that sit in these seats that are in this room, whether you're online or in person, we include everybody in that. That's both exciting and, if I'm honest, a bit nerve-wracking, right? (laughs) And if you feel like that, maybe, uh, then great. Uh, We're all in this together. And with the help of the Lord leading the way. And I love that we get to do this type of work in ministry together. So I think the first step in this kind of wonderful engagement with what God would want us to do. And with what God would have us uh, do together. Is that we need to see the need around us. And we need to be moved by his spirit. Like we talked about last week, we need to be willing to participate, recognize and participate with what God is already doing. And so to help propel us into what God might have for us, we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah together. 
Because it really aligns with kind of what we're, how we've set this up and what we've talked about already. It's a powerful story and Nehemiah is a compelling person. And it all starts with a stirring in Nehemiah's heart that maybe we could call a little bit of discontentment <laughs> for Nehemiah. We'll, we'll understand this as we go, even this morning, that it's not just discontentment. It's holy discontent. It's a discontentment that's put in Nehemiah's heart by God. So just to give a little bit of background about the book of Nehemiah and kind of the situation that as we enter into this together, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are, are designed to work together and they are set in the time after the Babylonian exile. So if you remember your Old Testament history, the Babylonians were a, a people that conquered the Israelites and eventually destroyed uh, the city of Jerusalem, including the temple. And they took much of the, the Israelites, the majority of the people, into exile, into Babylon. It was a difficult time for the people of God. And many uh, of the Old Testament, uh, there's many Old Testament books that talk about this period. But the book of Nehemiah is set during another type of transition for God's people in this exile period. So eventually, the uh, kingdom of Persia defeats the Babylonians. So we're like thinking large-scale kind of nations, right? The kingdom of Persia defeats the Babylonians and they take control of everything, including the exiles that had been taken off to Babylon. The kings of Persia, thankfully for God's people, the kings of Persia almost immediately are more willing to let God's people, the Israelites, go back to their destroyed hometown and start over. And it starts right away in Ezra chapter 1 with King Cyrus. Ezra chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4, we read this. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy that he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what, the king of, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you, uh, any uh, of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Whenever this Jewish, wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward the expenses uh, by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey and livestock, as well as voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Whoa, what a change for the people of God going from the Babylonians who destroyed everything to the kings of Persia who were willing to let them go and not just restart, but says, hey, okay, you all neighbors need to help out in this process. What a change. So I want to just to, to sum up this, the story fairly quickly here. We see a few different groups of, of the Israelites return to Israel to start the rebuilding process. The first group we we, uh, is led by Ezra, and the next group is led by Nehemiah. In fact, the, the book of Nehemiah starts uh, a little bit later. Uh, in says, in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. Hopefully I'm saying that right. <laughs> uh, one of the kings that followed King Cyrus. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, here's what we read. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah. Uh, in the late autumn, in the autumn of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. 
Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. Okay, so we're kind of into the story a little bit. And here we're introduced to Nehemiah. He gets a visit from one of his brothers, which is great because he really wants to know how the rebuilding project is going. But what's also kind of fun after, so we, he, he asked this question of what's going, and his brother will answer him, which we'll read that in just a moment. There's a prayer that's recorded, and then at the very end of the first chapter, Nehemiah just kind of throws in this one line at the very end, which kind of tells us what he's all about in, in Persia. It's kind of fun. At the end of verse 10, we learn that Nehemiah is the cupbearer of the king of Persia. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you almost can read it like a humble brag. He just kind of throws it in there at the end of the prayer. Oh, by the way, I was the cupbearer of the king. <laughs> it's kind of fun. Uh, One commentator says this, we're given some context about Nehemiah and who he is and why he will respond the way that he responds. That one commentator says this, that now a cupbearer was much more than a modern day butler that we might see on TV. You might think Downton Abbey, right? Uh, It was a position of great responsibility and privilege. At each meal, he tested the king's wine and food to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. Yikes. (laughs) This was a person who, because he stood close to the king in public, had to be handsome, cultured, uh, knowledgeable in court procedures, and able to converse with the king and advise him if asked. Because he had access to the king, the cupbearer was a person of influence. That Nehemiah, a Jewish person, held such an important position in the palace speaks very well of his character and his ability. So, we're introduced to this character of Nehemiah who it sounds like he's a pretty great guy and he actually has a pretty significant responsibility right next to the king of Persia. One of the things that I think we come to notice about the person of Nehemiah as we read through this book is that he is a passionate person and he cares deeply. We see this even as he asks his brother right away about how things are going. Even though Nehemiah had a very important position He had a passion for his people, and he had a passion for his God, (laughs) and he was driven by a sense of deep purpose, we'll find out. Not only in his job here as a cupbearer, which he wants to do well, but later in his calling as well. This is very inspiring, and I I think that part of this passion and deep love for, for the people and for God is some of what drives Nehemiah in the coming verses and in the coming decisions that he makes. One commentator wrote that Nehemiah was a kind of person who cared deeply. He cared about the traditions of the past and the needs of the present. He cared about the hopes for the future. And he cared about his heritage, his ancestral city, and the glory of God. And we say all of this to kind of get a glimpse of what Nehemiah is like. Because we understand maybe a little bit more why he was more than just heartbroken when he heard what his visiting brother had to say. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we read this. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just come, arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there uh, from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, Nehemiah wrote, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. 
So Nehemiah listened to the news of his brother that his brother brought back. And what he experienced in this moment is what we might consider holy discontent. (laughs) He experienced a deep God-given longing for things to be different for his people. For the situation to be better than what is reported. And what did he do? He cried out to God. And I relate with this so much as I look around our world today. There is so much brokenness, so much hurt in our world, so many people in need, and in so many ways, I'm discontented. How about you? You know, for the last few years, we've been using this language of being unsettled as we submit ourselves to the scripture, as we ask Jesus to speak deeply to our heart and to our mind. That the, that the scripture and Jesus would convict us. It's not a very comfortable feeling when we realize we're not living in alignment with what God has asked us to do. It's unsettling, but it's good because it helps us grow. Amen? So the beginning of, of, the, of the book of Nehemiah is one of those moments for me. Here is Nehemiah sitting in a, in a position of, of, of privilege in the court, and yet he's troubled by what he hears about the way things are going for the people of God. Nehemiah's response to hearing about uh, his people was a significant one. He says, "When when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. And for days, I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. And in the weeks to come, when we look at, Nehemiah has a fascinating interaction between uh, the one moment with the king where the king sees that he's troubled, has this fascinating exchange. We'll get there. Not today, but just a little. That's kind of a fun thing that he was so troubled that it was visible in his life. This was a significant moment for him. Another commentator wrote this, that no doubt this day was just another routine day when Nehemiah met his brother who had just returned to visit from Jerusalem. But it turned out to be a turning point in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah could have gone about his business that day, his daily routine. He had a great job of high prestige in the the kingdom. Uh, But when he heard the news, what did he do? He paid attention to the discontentment, the holy discontentment that he had. And he responded in a significant way to God. And I was so convicted by that this week. (laughs) Lord, let that be true of me as well. This moment when he heard God and responded to it became a significant moment in his life. What's fascinating is you look through the story of scripture, this type of important moment has happened throughout scripture to other people as well. It was just another day when Moses went out to care for his sheep. But on that day, he heard the Lord's call to become prophet for his people in Exodus chapter 3. It was an ordinary day when David was called home. He was just shepherding his flocks in the field. But on that day in 1 Samuel 16, he was anointed the future king. It was an ordinary day when Peter, Andrew, James, and John were mending their nets uh, after a night of fishing failure. <laughs> but it was that day that Jesus called them to become disciples and fishers of men. You never know when God might touch your heart and invite you to respond. God has significant ministry for us to do here and now. So keep your heart open to God's providential leading and his invitation in your life. Where is your holy discontent this morning? (laughs) 
Oh, the remnant of God's people were struggling. This news troubled Nehemiah so greatly. They were trying to rebuild what had been destroyed. And it was a chance for God's people to get back on the map, to see the people of God thrive once more. Nehemiah asked about Jerusalem and the people living there because he cared. Instead of a land inhabited by a great nation, there was just a remnant of people who lived there. They were struggling to survive. Instead of a magnificent magnificent city, Jerusalem was in shambles. Where there had once been great glory, there was now nothing but devastation. And here's what I love. That Nehemiah doesn't ignore the problem. And he doesn't ignore the stirring in his heart, which we can and so often do when we're troubled by something. <laughs> often to look away is a typical human response to hardship or crisis. Oh, I hope it gets better. <laughs> Good luck. Right? But what we'll see is that Nehemiah is willing because he's troubled in his spirit, because he wants to see it different, because God has given him some discontent for the way that things are. We see that Nehemiah takes action and is willing to risk his comfort and give up everything for what God has for him to do. I'm so convicted by this. Nehemiah wept and he fasted and he prayed to the God of heaven. And later, as we'll talk about in the weeks to come, he does even more than that. But I thought it was important enough to this moment in Nehemiah's life, I thought it was important enough for us to kind of pause here and look at this. Look at his concern for the people and his desire for God's best for them and the way that he responds when he's troubled by this news. The parallels we're drawing is what does that look like for us today? What gives you a holy discontent as you look around the world around you? Maybe your workplace or your neighborhood or uh, what it, our, our, our Snohomish, Washington, the U.S., the world. There's significant issues happening. What does holy discontent look like for you? I was reminded again this week of the passion that I have to see people come to know the saving grace of a loving God. Amen. <laughs> That people might find freedom from sin and all its consequences and experience the joy of salvation in Christ. To experience purpose and life. This is our high calling to spread the good news of Jesus. To shout it from the rooftops as we invite as many people as we can into transforming and saving relationship with Jesus, all while doing our best to get better at following him day by day. Amen? <laughs> Look at these verses. This, I'm, I'm going to read a whole bunch of, of verses here because I'm discontented. <laughs> Titus 2 verse 14. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us and to make us his very own people, totally committed to what, uh, to doing good deeds. Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the things that he's planned for us long ago. Romans 8, 4, uh, Romans 8, 1 through 4. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. 
He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Romans 10, 9 through 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is openly declaring, uh, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. One more, Hebrews chapter 10, and it was a lot. So, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have such a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Amen. I don't know how you're, you're not all excited. Like, let's, let's do this thing. (laughs) Seeing this reality in the world around us, around me is my discontent. How about you? That God has saved us and changed us, forgiven us, and called us to participate with what he's doing. Do I see it? So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we begin to see the world differently. God begins to do something in us. He starts to rearrange our priorities. He starts to give us a sense of calling to something more. We begin to hear his voice, the voice of God's Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. Maybe you've heard about what's happening at Asbury this past week. Uh, If you haven't, I encourage you to go look it up. What started as a normal chapel service last week has not ended. (laughs) And it's still going this morning. Powerful revival happening. Students praying repenting, worshiping, all day, all night, and it's still going this morning. Revival of God's Spirit moving among young people who are desperate for his presence. One person wrote this, uh, someone who has been there, there's lots of reports on this, there even was a, a news report about it. Uh, one pastor who was there wrote this on Twitter, it is a beautiful reminder that God can break in at any moment. Among ordinary people on an ordinary day, if our hearts are repentant repentant and hungry for his presence, our younger generations are teaching us what real spiritual hunger looks like. They want the real presence of God. These young people are are more hungry than most, than most of us have been in generations. We must learn from them. As we begin to see our world around us with new eyes, new hearts, (laughs) we can more clearly see the brokenness of the world around us and we know that God can do something about it. God, do something about it (laughs) and use me. Use us. Let us be discontented enough like Nehemiah that we're willing at least initially to pray, to fast, And then to step forward. Nehemiah didn't shy away from the difficulty of his people. He didn't shrug his shoulders and say, well, I hope it all gets better. Good luck, everyone. 
The first thing he did was fall on his face and fast and pray. And he stepped into a moment that changed his life. And what we'll see in the story of Nehemiah is even though he's in exile, he's a Jewish person in Babylon and now in the kingdom of Persia, even though he seems to be out of place, historically God had put him right where he wanted, right where he needed him. And that's true of us as well. One commentator said, when God wants to accomplish a work, he always prepares his workers and puts them in the right place at the right time. (laughs) I'm so thankful for that. Could that be true of you today? Could God be wanting to use you and have placed you in exactly the right place at exactly the right time? To be his hands and feet, his voice (laughs) for someone who needs his word or encouragement. So just as an encouragement that as the Lord speaks to your heart, remember that God can use any of us. And I'm praising the Lord for that, right? You don't have to be a polished public speaker. You don't have to be a cupbearer to a king. You just have to be available and willing to say yes to Jesus. I love that the characters that populate biblical stories are sometimes flawed people and they can be a mixed bag of success and failure, kind of like you and me. (laughs) Praise the Lord for that. And he can still work powerfully through us. Worship team, would you come on back? Will you say yes to the Lord this morning? Will you ask the Lord where do, where are you giving me a holy discontent? The story of Nehemiah tells a, a realistic story of people who were zealous to help others see the world and God in a new way, a fresh way, here and now. They are full of passion and love for God and want to do everything in their power to help lead others into a new era of devotion and commitment to God. So the question is, will we be willing to do the same? And I want to end uh, this time, uh, before, we, before we gather again in worship, I just want to end with a prayer uh, that has been prayed over the, uh, the revival that's happening in, in Asbury from the same person I mentioned earlier. So we think about what God might want to do in us and ask God to show us where would you have me be discontented and what would you have me do about that? Let's just pray together. God, I just want to say thank you for the book of Nehemiah and even just in these first few verses, how powerful it is that we get to see this moment in the life of Nehemiah and how it stirred his heart to prayer and fasting, crying out to you, and then eventually to significant action. Help us, wake us up, shake us. (laughs) If If we're feeling spiritually sleepy, help us. Be like the alarm clock, that'll wake us up and see the world around us. Knowing that we are filled with your spirit because of your saving grace in our life, that we can participate in what you're doing to see freedom come to others. So God, we pray this prayer. May God ignite our hearts again. The flames of his love. May this hungry generation prod the apathy right out of our sleepy churches. 
if we're sleepy. And may the fire of his spirit be poured out in greater measure across this nation. And may all of this be not for our own gain, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand?